Lord, tonight it is all about love. Help us to understand it, to grasp it, to apply it, to live it, but really just to truly understand who you are when it comes to understanding love. And we say thank you for that in your name. Amen. I'm going to start reading in verse 7 of 1 John 4, and I'm actually going to read for a while and get to verse 3 of uh, 1 John 5. I think it's important to get the entire context of this. Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Please remember, propitiation is a fancy word that means appeasement. He took care of our sins for us. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And if we have seen and testify, the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this way that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, and we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. There's a lot in there. A lot in there. Depending on your translation, in the book of 1 John, the word love is mentioned over 25 times. Not mentioned in the first chapter. It's mentioned in chapters 2 through 5, 25 times. So that means in about four chapters, you're going to see that word love at least six, seven times a chapter. God's trying to get a point across here. This idea of love. Putting this all together, which we have talked about for the last few weeks, etc. What does it look like to love? If we love God, according to 1 John 5, 3, we keep his commandments. And they're not burdensome. If I love the Lord, and God has said that that action is wrong, I believe it and I trust it and I accept it. It's not burdensome to me because he's looking out for me and he loves me enough to tell me it's wrong. If he says that action is right, then I believe it's right. I need to understand that love is keeping his commandments. Love is also loving the brethren. Jump back to 1 John 3. Look at verse 10. And this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So if I don't want to keep God's commandments and I don't want to love my brother, John is saying, are you really a Christian? Because Christians want to obey God. Christians want to love brothers and sisters in the Lord. And what else do we have really learned? Verse 18, 1 John 3. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. Christians put action to their love. So those three points have been made here throughout the last few weeks. If I love God, I want to keep his commandments. I want to love the brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I want to go out and help people. If I don't have a heart to want to go help people, if I don't have a love for my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and if I don't have a love for his commandments, John is saying, you really need to stop and say, are you really a Christian? Here's the problem with love. 
it is so difficult to fully grasp all the levels of it. I mean, we get the word, and you hear me make this joke all the time with love. I love my wife, I love God, and I love Chicken McNuggets. I love them. And you've heard me make many comments before how there's different words for love in the Greek language. And so, therefore, when you see the word love in the Bible, it's not always the same word. Even though we translate it love, they have different words for it. Kind of building up, if you will, from the bottom. There's a Greek word for a a physical, central, romantic love. It's eros. And it's this idea of just physical love. It's that love where there's just passion involved, physical and sensual and romance. There's no relationship. The world loves eros love. Absolutely loves it. The Bible doesn't. The next type of love is this interesting word, it's storge, and it's a love that describes family. It's a love between parents and children, brothers and sisters. It's a very family type of love. You can see us kind of building up the pyramid here a little bit. And then you get to uh, uh, philea. This is a love of brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This is the love that you see a lot of Christians have towards each other. That's my brother in Christ. That's my sister in Christ. Hey, I'll go help you move that sleeper sofa. I love you. The ultimate form of love, though, is agape. That's the highest type of love. That type of love is God's love. One quote on that is, it's immeasurable, incomparable love. It's a divine love that comes from God. It is perfect, unconditional, sacrificial, pure. That's the love we're supposed to have. Now, in the world we live in today, a lot of people like to stop at eros love. Just plain out physical love. And they base relationships on eros love, and it lasts for a few months, maybe a few years, and it completely falls apart. And they stop and say, why? Well, it was based on eros, it was based on the physical. And then they come in and they say, oh, I don't know if I ever really loved her or him. You loved what you could get from her, but you didn't love her. And then once again, there's this, this family love. Now, oh, that's my parents. I mean, I'd agree with everything to do, but I love them. That's my brother. I just got to love them. We kind of raise our kids that way from the beginning. Hey, listen, you can't choose your brothers and sisters. You got to love them. But then you start getting to the body of Christ. And you get to brotherly love. Where I can stop and look at you and say, you know what, you normally wouldn't run in my circle. But since you have the same spiritual father I do, I will love you. And there is a a brotherly sister in Christ's love. The agape one, though, that's, that's what we're talking about here. That's the one you want to go for. Unconditional, immeasurable, incomparable, perfect, sacrificial, pure. I have been chewing on this message for I don't know how long. And the Lord has really been working on my heart with this one for a long time. And I came to this conclusion because I know all the verses. We're going to make a lot of references tonight. John 13, you will know that you are my disciples by your love. You know that verse. That the way we're supposed to show the love of Christ to the world is by our Christian love. That's the way we live. That's the way we act. 1 John 4 here, God is love. What I started really realizing as I was kind of praying through this is what I thought I had for love for people really wasn't love. This is what the Lord's been working on for me the last couple months preparing for this. I would say I love people, and really what it came down to is I put up with people. And I thought that was love. And I really started really praying over this message and really looking at these verses and realizing when I would say, oh, I love them. No, I, I, I put up with them. Or I like them. And to really have this word of love, immeasurable, incomparable, agape love, perfect, unconditional, sacrificial, pure, 
boy, it really is eye-opening to me how little love I have for that, for people. Once again, I like people. I put up with people. That's not what the Lord's going for here. He's looking for something more and deeper. Let's build on that. Can you go with me to John 21? John 21. I don't expect us to walk out of this message tonight all of a sudden having that ultimate form of love, agape love, for everybody we run into. I believe it is part of the process of our walk with Jesus Christ. There's this fancy word called the sanctification process where we're becoming more and more like Jesus. I hope, though, that we really start to stop and say, do I really love them like Christ loves them? And you may have some people in your mind right now that you say, they are just almost unlovable to me. I firmly believe God will always have an unlovable person in your life. I really do believe that. And once you learn to love that unlovable person, God will bring another unlovable person into your life to say, now can you love them? And here's the catch to all this. You are unlovable to certain people. There's somebody that could be at church right now really struggling with you. Somebody in this room right now could be saying, huh, I'm really struggling with them. You're on their private little prayer list. Because we think we're very lovable. I think people are missing out by not knowing me. You know what I mean? And there's people that struggle with me. And so that idea of loving all. And if you're stopping, you're thinking, okay, James, these words, sacrificial, unconditional, immeasurable, incomparable. I I can't do that. I can't do it sometimes either. That's why it's a God-given love. See, look at John 21. John 21, this is the restoration of Peter. You remember the story. Last Supper, Jesus says, you guys are all going to leave me and betray me. And Peter stands up and says, I would never leave you and betray you, Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, but you're going to. When the rooster crows three times. And that's what happens. Peter follows Jesus at a distance, which is a great teaching point. Be careful of following Jesus at a distance. And Peter does. He denies Christ three times. Peter runs away in tears. At the beginning of John 21, Peter says, I'm going to go back to fishing. You know, remember when Jesus called Peter at the beginning, Peter left his nets and his boats. It shows leaving behind your own life, old lifestyle and following Christ. So by Peter saying, I'm going back to fishing, this is not just Peter saying, hey, you guys, you want to go fishing for the day. This is Peter saying, I'm going back to fishing. The Jesus thing didn't work out. I'm a failure. I'm an absolute failure. So Jesus shows up after he died and rose again, and he makes breakfast for him. Take a look at verse 15. Chapter 21, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, you guys have heard this talk before. You know where I'm going with this. But if you haven't, this is the perfect example in the Bible of understanding the words love. Jesus shows up to Peter in verse 15 and says in verse 15, do you love me? He says, do you agape me? Peter, that's what the word is in the Greek. Do you make me number one in your life where you love me immeasurably and and just unconditionally and sacrificially? Peter's response in verse 15 of, you know, Lord, that I love you. He uses the different Greek word for brotherly love. So Jesus says, do you love me agape at the top, Peter? Peter's response is, I I love you, filet. I love you the step below that, Lord. Okay? So he asks him again, verse 16, do you love me agape me? Peter's response, Lord, I, I, I fillet you. I brotherly love you. But this, this God-given sacrificial, 
So now, third time, verse 17, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Jesus changes his words. He doesn't say, Simon, do you agape me? He says, now, Simon, do you phileo me? Do you just love me brotherly? And Peter responds, yes. But now Peter was grieved in verse 17. Why was Peter grieved? Because he realized Jesus lowered his standards of asking. Jesus tried twice of, will you agape me? And Peter said, I, I can only phileo you. And Jesus says, fine. Do you love me with the brotherly love? Peter says, you do. And he says, look, Lord, in verse 17, you know all things. What's he saying? Jesus, you know I'm a failure. You know I denied you. You know I jumped ship. You know everything. You know I'm a failure. And guess what? Jesus still says, I want to use you. Now this, I hope, encourages you. Because if you're here tonight, and we're going to get into this depth of agape love, and if you're sitting here saying, I, I can't do this, Jesus says, I know. I know, and I'll meet you where you're at, and then I'm going to take you deeper. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that God didn't set the standards so high to say, you know what, James, unless you have this agape love for me, this immeasurable, unconditional, sacrificial love, uh, James, I can't use you because there's days I don't have that. And God says, I'll take the love you have and I'll still work with it. And that's what you see here going on with Peter. And I absolutely love God's grace and mercy with us and just how he still wants to just use us. So, what type of love does he want us to have? Agape. Go with me now to 1 Peter 4.8. 1 Peter 4.8. I think it's fascinating. We just talked about Peter, who couldn't function the agape love at that time. Now, let's jump ahead a couple decades. What does Peter tell us in 1 Peter 4.8? Let's start in verse 7, actually. 1 Peter 4.7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Hey, guys, that's still true today, 2,000 years later. It's the end. I mean, Jesus Christ is returning. It's the end. The world is literally going downhill, and we need to understand this, and this should change how we live and how we act. Let's get serious about this. And that's why Peter then says in verse 8, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Peter, the guy that couldn't say, I have agape love for you, is now telling us in verse 8, have fervent love for us. Excuse me, have fervent love for one another. Fervent love, that's a really interesting word. It's only used a couple times in the Bible. And what it literally means is stretched out love. Fervent, stretched out love. You know what that means? God is pushing you out of your comfort zone. That's why he's sending you unlovable people. Because if you were given the choice, you would only make in your little click people that you click with. You would be around people that have the same political mindset you do, the same lifestyle mindset you do, probably the same activities your kids are in, and this is what we would do. This is what makes work so difficult, is because all of a sudden we have to work with people we normally wouldn't hang around with. This is what makes church difficult, because sometimes I have to sit beside people that are completely different than me. This is what makes in-laws difficult, because you love your wife or your husband, but yeah, then there's that older family. I just heard somebody say recently that we skip over the greatest gift in the Garden of Eden. There were no in-laws. Someone said that recently. So I just want to say for the record, because Jerry and Tam listen to these messages down in Florida, I love my in-laws. So I just want to make sure that is abundantly clear. And my sister-in-law, Lori, listens too. I love Lori and Brian and everybody. So, um, But there's this stretched out thing. God is going to stretch you. And this is just what I've seen. 
If you choose to always stay around the group that makes you feel the most comfortable, you're going to start to dry up a little bit spiritually. You need to be stretched. No one likes to be stretched. I've shared this with you before. The reason we started small groups five years ago, four or five years ago, I lose track of time, as I, I needed to be stretched. I, I needed to do something that took me out of my comfort zone, and I may not believe this, or not small groups used to make me nervous and scared. I'm used to teaching in front of uh, bigger groups of people. Big groups of people have never bothered me. You don't make eye contact. I'm just scanning. You know what I mean? I don't, know. I don't even care if you're here or not. I'm just scanning. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Small groups, you may have three, four people, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, there's eye contact, there's conversation, and whatever. And now it's interesting, after doing this for four or five years, I love small groups now. I just absolutely love them. I need to be stretched. Then about three years ago, I realized I needed to be stretched when it comes to sharing my faith. So I started going up to Dearborn, go door to door. I needed to be stretched. Take me on my comfort zone, Lord, to go up to speak to the Muslims. Then last, this year, I need to be stretched. We're going to drive across the country and go down to Mexico for a couple of weeks. I need to be stretched. Take me out of my comfort zone. And I, and I have now realized that there's times in my life where God says, I, I need to stretch your love, James. Because it is so easy to get comfortable. And that is a dangerous place to be spiritually. And we try so hard in this world to just get comfortable and stay comfortable. I mean, we make our bedrooms perfect and our living rooms perfect and we get everything perfect. And God says, yeah, but maybe I'm going to move you. We try to get our job perfect and our lifestyle perfect. And God says, yeah, but I'm going to stretch you. So I just want to let you know, the Peter that couldn't agree to the agape love is now telling us decades later, you need to have your love be stretched. How does that happen? Go with me now to Romans 5. Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 5. We referenced this verse a few weeks ago when we were talking about love. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Romans 5, 5. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts. You, you don't, you're not capable of having that agape love towards people. I'm not capable of doing it. God has to pour it out in my heart. I can't do it on my own. I can't. And God just kept giving me Romans 5, 5 again and again and again. I just want to share this with you. So probably about a month ago we were teaching on 1 John 3 and the idea of love came up. And I just made a quick reference to Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured onto our hearts. And I didn't think too much about it. Okay. So I got this weird thing I do that if I wake up in the middle of the night, when I wake up I'm, I'm wide awake. I'm just one of those guys that I'm a morning person. If I'm awake, I'm awake. So if I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm wide awake. And if I can't go back to bed, I don't fight it. So I might as well do something productive. I'll put my glasses on. I'll read. I'll do something like that. And I got this strange thing I do that if I wake up in the middle of the night, I look at my clock to see what time it is. And I always just do this in my head. That whatever the time is, like one time I woke up at 2.36 in the morning, I stop and I think of a Bible verse. That's 2.36. Something like that. And the, I know it sounds strange. There's a lot of times where I stop and I think, okay, Lord, you're, you're really moving in this. You're really working in this. And sometimes the Lord uses it to confirm things. And sometimes I'll write down the time and I'll come back later and just keep looking up. So I woke up and it was 5.05. And I uh, looked at the clock, it was 5.05. And, and I was like, okay, that's Romans 5.5. 5. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go back to bed. It's Romans 5.5. 5. So the next, I wake up later on in the morning and I read Romans 5.5. 5, and okay, God's love has been poured onto our hearts. And, and I really felt like the Lord was saying, Let's chew on this. 
And we were still mowing at the time. I'd go out and mow. And I would just really keep praying over Romans 5.5. 5. Next thing you know, it's in one of the devotionals I read. Romans 5.5. 5. Next thing you know, it's in another devotional. And next thing you know, it's in another devotional. And the Lord just kept giving me Romans 5.5. 5. And what he really was laying on my heart is, is, James, has my love been poured out into your heart? And that's when I started coming to the conclusion, I don't know if I love people the way I thought I did. I think I put up with people, and I think I like people. I want to love them. I want that love to be poured out into my heart by the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, okay, I can really look at these people and say, I love them. I love them. That's hard to do. And you've heard all the examples. You've heard all the analogies before, but they they really are good. Someone just sent me a message to listen to recently, and I was listening to it. And it's just a great example, and I've heard it before, but just when you really stop and you think about it, He was using the example of, imagine you saw somebody in a very dangerous position. Dangerous position. He used the example of kids playing in an elevator shaft as the example he used. That you happen to see that there's two kids at the bottom of an elevator shaft playing. And you're thinking, they're going to get crushed. And so you, you, you're, you're freaking out. These kids are in the bottom of an elevator shaft. They're going to get crushed. The elevator's going to come down and kill them. But then you run over there to save them. You stop and say, but they look so happy. Playing with their toys. Why would, why would I want to? I, I don't want to bother them. They just look so happy. And then you start saying, well, you know, they have parents. And the parents are responsible for them. Who is it my job to step in? And everything we start doing is rationalizing. They look happy, so I should let them go. I, their parents obviously don't care. And the whole point was, if you love, you step in. And then you know where he takes the analogy, that every person you run into is either going to heaven or hell. But yet, that doesn't move us. Why? Because we kind of like them. We put up with them. But what would happen if we'd really stop and say, Lord, verse 5 of Romans 5, the love of God has been poured out into my heart by the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to look at everybody through agape love. It would change every conversation and interaction you would have with people. Because all of a sudden now your love would be completely stretched. Stretched out. Where you would stop and realize, I have an opportunity now to really represent Christ to every single person I run into. And to really stop and say, Lord, this person is going to live on forever in heaven or hell. And they may be happy down here. But I don't want them to be happy here. I need to tell them. They, they may think it's okay. I need to tell them. Because I love them. Even though I've never met them. See, now you would maybe do that for friends and family members because there is that, that storge love or that philea love. But agape is to every person you run into. Oh, Lord, there's something more. Can you go with me now to Mark? Mark chapter 6. And this is where we need to understand how we take this love and we apply this love. And this is now where we're going to introduce ourselves to another biblical term called compassion. Compassion is a hard word to define. I, I remember when I was in freshman English at the, in high school, learning for the first time that you can't use the definition of the word in the definition. How would I define compassion? Well, compassion is being compassionate. How would you find being compassionate? Well, being compassionate is having compassion. So I'm talking to Dawn today, and it's like, how would you define compassion? 
So Dawn and I, since we can solve all the world's problems in our kitchen, we came up to that we would define compassion as love in action. I like that. Love in action. The idea of being compassionate is love. Now, here's the problem, though. I did some studying on this. You don't have to be a believer to have compassion. In fact, in the Bible, it refers to non-believers having compassion. In fact, the same word used to describe God's love for us. Think that through for a second. The Bible uses the word compassion, the same word to describe God's compassion for us that non-believers can have towards people. That's why people from a different persuasion of faith, the Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists, they can have compassion. Well, you can stop saying, no, that's only a God thing. No, non-believers can have compassion. You can run into many different groups and organizations that will raise money for people that have lost homes in hurricanes, tornadoes, and floods. They have compassion. There are people working in soup kitchens, giving up time, because they have compassion. You know people you work with that are not saved, and they are really nice people people that would help you move that sleeper sofa and they would do anything for you and you say they're not saved how can they because non-believers can have compassion now what separates the compassion of a christian from the compassion of a non-believer what separates the compassion of a christian is i don't just want to help you i want to help you while seeing you get saved i just don't want to feed you And walk away saying, oh, your belly is full, but you're still going to hell. Because what good is that? There's plenty of organizations in this world that will feed your bellies and you're still going to hell. I want to feed your belly and see you get saved in Jesus Christ. We learned that when we went down to Mexico. And I've shared this with you before. First day, we're down there. We're unloading the van. And just into unloading the van. And a woman comes up to me and she asks me if I have any rice. No, I, I don't have any rice. Okay, then she goes through the list. Do you have any flour? I don't have any flour. Do you have any sugar? I don't have any sugar. No. And she walks away kind of frustrated a little bit. So I go up to Bree, who you know takes care of things down there. I said, Bree, this lady just came up and asked me for rice, sugar, and flour. She goes, yeah. She goes, what happens is churches come down from the States, and they come down in a van like yours, 12-passenger van, and they just come down, cross the border, pull into these impoverished areas, open up the back, And it's just completely full of rice, flour, sugar, oil. And they just hand them out to people. Just hand them out. Name of Jesus, love you. Hand them out, hand them out, hand them out. Van's empty. They go back to the States. Pat themselves on the back for their missions trip to Mexico. She goes, and guess what? Those people are still going to die and go to hell with a full belly. And that's one of the things I really just loved about Bree. Bree's whole point was, listen, we're going to feed these people. We're going to build houses for these people. But you know what else we're going to do? We're going to play the gospel of Jesus Christ to them and disciple them. And I thought, that's what I love. And it just kept growing on me. Because when you're down there, it's poverty upon, I mean, that you can't even imagine. So there was a pastor that came and picked me up, and we went to go look at a church plant in Gloria. And so we're kind of getting a little bit farther into Mexico. And he told me about how um, he got involved in, in, in missions work. His name is Pastor Jose. And he said that he went on a missions trip to Mexico. And that's exactly what they did. It's a story. He didn't know Bree told me the story. He goes, we loaded up the church van with all type of food supplies. We crossed the border. We came down. We opened the van up. And with minutes, everything was gone and disappeared. And we went back to the States and congratulating each other. And he goes, it really hit me. He goes, all those people are going to hell. Now, that doesn't mean you don't feed their bellies. That means you don't help them. I'm not saying that. Because but what separates compassion from a non-believer to a believer is the believer stops and says, I want to help you, but I want to see you saved as I do it. 
So I tell you, go out and have compassion for the world. That's what we just saw in 1 John 3. If I see somebody in need, I go help them. But as I'm helping them, I'm telling them about Jesus Christ. Because that's what matters more than anything. Listen, there are so many secular, worldly organizations that are doing good. But we want to do eternal good. Let's look at an example of this. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before him and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to him, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. When he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples. Set before them and the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments of the fish. And those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. Now a lot of times when we teach on this, we just focus on the feeding of the five thousand. Five thousand men, that's not including women and children. We could have ten, fifteen thousand people here. And we usually talk about a lot of different points. Verse 43, working backwards. Twelve baskets, one basket for each unbelieving disciple left over. We see what the Lord says right here. He says, I can take your little effort you have and bless it. We only have five and two fish, but God can bless it. I mean, we can. those are the main points that we do. I, I want us to look a little deeper into this. I want us to take our verses that we talked about. Agape love, stretched out love, and compassion. And let's look at it from that perspective. So, verse 34, he sees the multitude. He has compassion on them. He has so much compassion on them, what does he do in verse 34? He teaches them. That, that's, I love that. I care so deeply for you, I'm going to teach you. Because I want you to know something deeper than just a full belly. I want you to know who Jesus Christ truly is. Now, we try to do that in many different ways in this world. There's many different missions groups that make you sit for the Bible teaching to get the free meal. But Jesus, the heart was this. I see that you are sheep without a shepherd, and so I'm going to teach you. I tell you guys, do good to all that you can. Provide meals, provide clothes, provide finances, but by golly, give them Jesus Christ. Have compassion on them like Christ did. Stretch yourselves. Do you realize how stretched they were here? I don't think we realize this. Right before the feeding of the 5,000, what are we talking about? Well, if you look in Mark 6, starting verse 14, it's about John the Baptist when he's beheaded. Look at verse 29. Actually, look at verse 28. Brought his head, John the Baptist, on a platter, gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things which they had done and what they had taught. 
From the other gospel accounts, we see that Jesus, this happened right after John the Baptist was beheaded. Put yourself in Christ's perspective. He is God, but he is man. John the Baptist was his relative. It was his cousin. John the Baptist was his first partner in ministry proclaiming. John the Baptist baptized him. And now that John the Baptist is beheaded. Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born of a woman. Jesus, when he heard about what happened to John the Baptist, and when his disciples got back from a missionary journey, verse 31, they said, we need to get away for a little bit. Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest. Why do we need to rest? We just went through a very traumatic experience here. John the Baptist is dead. I'm sad. We're tired. We're hungry. We're physically exhausted. We're spiritually exhausted. We need to come rest. They were so busy, verse 31, for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Now, we say that a lot in our world today, how busy we are. And let's just be perfectly blunt. We're busy because we fill the calendar with meaningless things that have no spiritual significance. These guys are so busy serving God that they didn't even have time to eat. So verse 32, they departed to a deserted place to get away. But before they could even get away, verse 33, the people saw them leaving. And they look at the end of 33. They arrived before them and came together. They got there before Jesus did. So Jesus, who is sad over the death of John the Baptist, who these disciples are tired. They're physically tired. They're hungry. The whole goal is just to get away. Jesus shows up, they're already there, and what does he do? Whines and complains he has to work on his day off? No. Verse 34, came out, saw them, had compassion on them, and taught them. Talked about stretched out agape love. Please remember that. The next time we have a tendency to whine and complain about anything. Here's Jesus setting the example that in a time of sorrow, sadness, Physical tired, spiritually tired, ministry tired. Let's just go to a deserted place and rest. Nope, now we're back in ministry. It's a great example to us to stop and say what's really important. What's really important. Because sometimes we can get so selfish with our time. Where Jesus is really saying, listen, if there's a need, the Spirit will give you strength to do it. Go with me now to Matthew 9, please. One other example of the compassion of Jesus. And remember, we're supposed to be like Christ. Stretched out love. Matthew 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with, there's our word again, compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus saw them and said, we need to love them. And we're going to love them by healing sicknesses and diseases. But we're also going to heal them by, verse 35, preaching the gospel. So what are we supposed to do with this? Because I can't be Jesus. Well, look what he says to do, verse 37. And he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray that God would raise up more people to go out there into the harvest to represent Jesus Christ. Pray for more laborers to serve at church. Pray for more ministry opportunities. Pray for us to have stretched out love. Pray for us to have agape love because the harvest truly is plentiful. If you don't believe me, the harvest truly is plentiful. Just walk into Walmart. The harvest is plentiful. 
the laborers are few. There's always a need for more ministry in church. There's always more need for ministry outside of church. It just absolutely blows my mind when somebody comes up to me and says, you know, I keep praying and praying and praying, and I don't know what the Lord wants me to do, and I'm not getting any vision, I'm not getting any idea, I just don't think He has anything for me to do. And sometimes I stop and ask them, so is every single person you know is born again and saved? Well, no, of course not. Then it sounds like you've got a mission field. The, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so what are we supposed to do in 38? Pray for God to send out more laborers. Now, that doesn't mean pray for God to send somebody instead of you. Pray, Lord, where are you asking me to go represent agape, stretched out love, and have compassion for people? Sure, I'll feed their bellies. Sure, I'll clothe their back. Sure, I'll help them. But I really want to represent Jesus Christ to them. And I just encourage you to go back tonight in your time of evening devotions or time of morning devotions tomorrow. Go back and reread 1 John 4, 7 to verse 3 of chapter 5. And just really read it and say, Lord, what does this love look like in action? Not just to talk about it, but to really, truly say, I want to go out and live it. Live it and always say and do. Always say and do. Got just a few minutes left here before I close up. Any final uh, questions about anything that we covered here tonight? Okay. What I want to do then is this. We're going to close with the word of prayer. And I know some of you got to get going. You got kids in the back, things going on. If you are praying for this love, maybe you're convicted by it. Maybe you want that Romans 5, 5 of the love poured out in you. Let, let's come up here and pray together as, as a group. You know, we don't need to know all the details. We don't need to know the names necessarily. But if you just want to come up here, let's lay hands on each other. And let's really just do what Romans 5, 5 says. We pray that the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, that God's love would be poured out in us. So we're going to pray. Then if you need to go, take care of your kids, whatever. But if you just got a heart and maybe you were just touched, convicted by this tonight, you're like, I, I don't want to just like people. I don't want to just put up with people. I want to love people. Then let's pray for that. Let me just tell you this, because this is how it works for me. Anything I teach on, you got to live it, before it or after it. So you made the really non-intelligent choice to come tonight to learn about love. So you are going to go home and have the most unlovable people in your house, the most unlovable people at work tomorrow, the most unlovable people out in the church parking lot, the most unlovable people in your drive home. You are, and you're going to get frustrated. And then the words of the Holy Spirit are going to come back to you from this lesson. And you're going to take a deep sigh. And you're going to stop right then and decide, do I love them? Do I have compassion on them? Am I willing to be stretched out? Or am I going to be just like everything else in the world? Hey, would you guys stand with me so we can pray? Lord, as we just come to you now, I, I pray that we could have this love, this stretched out love, agape love for people. And be moved with compassion for them. And as we're moved with compassion for them, to go out and love them with the gospel message as we do it, Lord. Help us just not to feed them, to clothe them, but to also love them in Jesus Christ. And Lord, pour that love out into us. We say thank you in your name. Amen. If you want to pray about it, come on up here. If not, you guys have a good evening and God bless.